This morning we want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you haven't been with us, uh, we've been in recent months working our way through this one of the most significant epistles in the New Testament. It's also one of the most challenging. Uh, it's the reason it's uh, hard to write a commentary or preach a sermon series through 1 Corinthians because there are a lot of issues that stir up a lot of energy and a lot of discussion. In the world of church life, churches experience adversity and struggles and things that, that come against the life of the church. And some of those are from the outside aimed at the church and some well up within the life of the church. I would, from my experience, I would always prefer external persecution of the church to internal discord of some kind in the life of the church. And I think you know what I'm talking about. But when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this passage deals with the one we'll look at next week. Those of you that are not in Hawaii, uh, we'll, we'll look at what is one of the most important passages in, in the New Testament to me next week that builds on the platform of what we look at this morning. And Paul is dealing with the issues, the Corinthian issues. The Corinthian church probably had more issues, uh, strife and struggles and disharmony than any of the churches that are identified in the flow of the New Testament. And so you want to say, well, well, what's the deal? What's going on here? And I want to suggest to you two things uh, that you need to look for. And Paul's going to kind of weave in and out of both of them. One of them has to do with a division over leadership and who's the best leader. Is the former pastor the best pastor or the current pastor? Is it Paul versus Apollos? And, and, that, and you see that in several places uh, in the flow of what Paul writes. And that's in this text here, and he addresses it again here, uh, is this dividing, dividing over some issue. And all churches do that at some point in time over something. It can be petty things or, or big things, but churches tend to divide and, and polarize. And, and for the Corinthians at this point, one of their dividers was Apollos versus Paul versus you know, there was the real pious group that says, we just follow Jesus. But they were, they had some factions going on. And so it was a, a deal in the life of the Corinthian church. So that's one issue. And Paul addresses that. And we need to address that and focus on that uh, so that we in our own lives, individual lives, in our church life, uh, collectively, we don't fall into those pitfalls. But there's a, another issue which really deals with the solution to all those kind of problems. The other issue that Paul addresses here is spiritual immaturity. And you can all fall into that. If you're not careful, unless you're an intentional, deliberate pursuer of God's will and God's growth in your life, you're going to fumble the ball in that area too. And so he's concerned with spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. So let's see how Paul takes these two issues of this particular division at the Corinthian church and the greater issue of maturity and how he weaves this together for us as he builds the platform for next week's what are you going to do with your life? What do you do with your life that matters in an eternal way? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. The apostle Paul writes, And I, brethren... A lot of talk today about how you translate the Bible. The word there is brothers. It's, it's, uh, there's no way, it's, it's brothers. But the intent is not just the men of the church. 
It's all the people of the church. And so the New American Standard renders it brethren that in the English world, we usually take that to mean both genders. The NIV is trying to respond to that and, and, and taking a lot of flack for it. it. It says brothers, but it means everybody. It says all you Corinthians, I want you to know, I, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men. And again, you've got, it's not just masculine. It's not just a, a men problem. Uh, some of you ladies might think all these things need to be addressed to the men, but it's up for all of us. Everybody that's ever walked and breathed and come to Christ uh, needs to be attuned to what Paul's saying here. And he says, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people. That's really sad, isn't it? For the apostle, the, the author of the New Testament, to write to a church and say, you know, I really wanted to communicate to you, but I couldn't do it at the level I wanted to. And present company excluded. There are a lot of churches around America this morning where, where really good pastors are out there struggling because they can't communicate to their congregation at the level that their heart's desire is to communicate at because the people are not mature in Christ. And so Paul says, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as folks of the flesh, as to infants in Christ, you're still in the first grade. Some of you have been around a long time, but still in the first grade. It could even happen in Dublin. It could even happen at First Baptist Church of Dublin. But the Corinthians were struggling in that area. He says, I, uh, I had to just speak as though, uh, speaking to those, he uses the word, that we get flesh in the English language, sarkinos, uh, fleshly people. There's nothing wrong with the physical body, but it's a symbol, and Paul's language for people that are just living like people. You don't want to be a Christian and just be like people. Your goal in Christ as a Christian is not to just be like everybody else or figure out the average for the Dublin culture and kind of get in the mainstream of being like everybody else. Your goal, your New Testament goal is to be like Christ and not like the average resident of our community or our culture. But he says, I had to just speak to you just like the fleshly people, like the, the worldly people that don't have a clue. I had to go all, I had to gear it all the way down or using the, the old phrase that used to stir around. I had to dumb it down for you because of your spiritual immaturity. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Nothing wrong with milk. Milk is wonderful for babies. God designed milk for babies. And some of you like it on through life. And for some people, it's good. Um, but he says it's really designed for those that are just getting started. That's the primary design of, of milk. And he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. The goal was solid food, that they would have theology and doctrine and ministry and life experience at a higher level that's reflected in solid food, a heavy-duty diet. He said, but I had to give you milk because you were like babies. He says, for you were not yet able to receive it. And then he comes on even stronger. He says, indeed, even now, you're not yet able. Oh, come on, Corinthians. And we've seen week after week, Paul writing to this particular church, some negative things, but through all the negativity of 1 Corinthians, you see the heart of the apostle Paul. He loves these people and he loves this church. He started the church, and he's writing back, and he's going to come back to them again and again. He loves these folks. He's not picking on them or putting them down. 
He's writing maybe with tears at this point. He says, even now, even now, you're still in the first grade. Even after all we've been through and all you were taught, imagine what the apostle Paul taught the Corinthians in downtown Corinth when he was there. Good night. If you had audio, video recordings of that, wouldn't that be priceless? Wouldn't that be amazing to see and to hear what Paul taught them? And they had that. And he says, even now, even after all this time and all that experience and an opportunity to digest what you were taught, even now you're still in the first grade. And so it's a struggle. He says, for you are still fleshly. For since there is a jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? That's a, that's a real put down. The mere men. Are, are, and again, it's not just men. Now, aren't you just walking like average folks? Aren't you just like everybody else? When you're called to be exceptional in Christ, aren't you just acting like everybody else? You go to all kind of other organizations and people groups and, and, and bumping around into people at the mall and, all, and they're going to act a certain way. Maybe not in Dublin where everybody's gracious, but you go a lot of places and, and people are rude and, and obnoxious toward each other and self-centered and self-focused and, and driving toward their own personal agendas and, and they're just mere men. They're just ordinary folks. That's the way people behave apart from Christ. And he says, when you get going in your jealousy and your strife, whether it's uh, over arguing about church leadership or something else, when you get going on that, aren't you just fleshly? Aren't you just like everybody else? Where's your testimony? Where is your witness before the watching world that desperately needs Christ when they look at you and they don't see anything distinctive about you? There's nothing in your personal life experience or your testimony that would attract them away from what they are to what you are in Christ. And Paul says, aren't you just like mere men? It's literally according to man. Aren't you uh, making your life choices and living out your life practices according to man's standard instead of God's? And Paul sees that as not just shallow, he sees that as tragic because of what they're missing and what that does to the cause of Christ and how it causes them to miss their potential. He says, for when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Paulus, are you not mere men? Aren't you just human? No, you know, that's an expression uh, in the English language that I've heard all my life. Well, you know, we're all just human. We're just human, which is sort of an excuse for we're entitled to be stupid because we're just human. We're, uh, we're entitled to be selfish because we're just human. And Paul says, no, you're not entitled to that. That's not what you're called to. You're not mere men. You're not just human. You're Christians. And he says, when you start arguing about who's the best preacher, you're missing it. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? I'd love to have a, a tape of Apollos or a, a disc of Apollos. Or I'd like to hear Apollos speak because it must have really been something. If you could have the Apostle Paul uh, come and go and start your church and all that, but, but, but be blown away by Apollos and, and people not just at Corinth but other places were. You remember uh, from the book of Acts, uh, Apollos was from North Africa, from Egypt. He was an Alexandrian and he came 
uh, north across the Mediterranean. He was discipled by Priscilla and Aquila. He was a great speaker. His theology was a little loose, but uh, they discipled him and brought him up to speed and, and turned him loose again back into the Christian world. He was a great speaker. But Paul, not putting down Apollos, he likes Apollos, but he says, what's Apollos? He's just a preacher. He's just a spokesman for something infinitely greater. What is Paul? Paul writing about himself. Who am I? Yeah, I'm an apostle. Yeah, I wrote Romans. And you know, all those other things. Yeah. But what am I? Compared to Christ, what am I? Servants through whom you believed. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. We're just the means of getting you to what you really need. You don't need to build your world around Apollos. You don't need to build your world around the Apostle Paul. You don't need to build your world around anybody but Christ and the Word of God. And so he says, those are just tools in the hands of a sovereign God who has called you and you've believed and you've trusted that. Now, step up. Don't be like mere men, ordinary folks. You don't want to be ordinary when you have a supernatural, extraordinary calling. Uh, tomorrow night, I'm going to Turkey Creek Baptist Church. Fred Williams as our, our school guy here in Dublin, and a great guy. And last year, he invited me to come down there and speak on a doctrinal subject. They have a doctrinal study several nights running and have a different speaker each night. And so I've been invited back. That's always a good time when you're asked back to something. And so I'm looking forward to being at Turkey Creek tomorrow. And my doctrinal assignment for tomorrow night is regeneration which is like the new birth, which is just the idea that God takes something and remakes it into something that's profoundly better. And Paul is pouring his heart into these words to say, oh, Corinthians, you're not called to be ordinary. You're called to be regenerated into something awesome. Not because you deserve it or because you're clever enough or you figured out enough of the right things to do and say, to be impressive, but because Christ has transformed you from the inside out. He says, I planted, remember Corinthians, I, I planted your church. I came there. I started it. Wandered into the synagogue and that, that main street that comes up from the waterway uh, right into downtown. He stopped in there at the synagogue and rounded up the true believers. And that became the Corinthian church, First Baptist Corinth or whatever it was. They were just the church. He rounded up those believers and, and taught them the truth of the higher explanation of the Old Testament scriptures that they revered and called them to decision in Christ. He says, I planted and Apollos watered. He came along and he watered what I did. Uh, he didn't plant it because it was already there, but he came along and, and did the things that are normal to do to bring about growth. But God was causing the growth. God was causing the growth. Some of you are gardeners. Some of you are really good gardeners, and you grow amazing things. Some of them are great to look at. Some are great to eat, and, and you've got that ability to do that. But all of you, if you're honest, you will admit you didn't cause the growth. You watered, you, you planted, you fertilized, you did all the things that the books or somebody taught you to do. But in the end, while you're sleeping, God brings the increase. God causes the growth. And Paul says, we're just guys doing what the Lord called us to do. And we're just tools in his hands. But God causes the growth. Real growth. If it's the real thing, God did it. God gets the glory. So then neither the one who plants 
nor that the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So let's, as these songs earlier today, uh, what great music that exalts God and God's role. It's God that does that which is truly glorious. It's God who accomplishes that which has eternal significance. The old London Baptist preacher Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, said, We must not rest in the best of men or make idols of them. And boy, the church can do that if it's not careful. They are instruments in God's hands. And he was the best of them. He was called the prince of preachers. And he packed them in by the thousands in his day. But he says, they are instruments in God's hands and nothing more. Let us look above the servants to their master. And Spurgeon was preaching that in London 150 years ago. And we believe it this morning because the Bible says it. It's not Apollos. It's not Paul. It's not the servants. It's the one they serve. God causes the growth. Verse 80 continues. Now, he who plants and he who waters, he's talking about human beings in this context uh, that are serving in different ways. uh, And his imagery already is he was the planter. Apollos was the waterer. Uh, They're both preachers. They're both evangelists and, and disciplers. But he says, he who plants and he who waters are one. So if any of you are dividing off into the Pauline faction and the Apollos faction, we're on the same team. Uh, You can divide over it, but Apollos and I are, are united perfectly in the same cause. We're one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. When you come to First Baptist Church, or maybe you're a guest and you go to church somewhere else, Uh, If you go to your church, you're going to find a great diversity of people uh, and diversity of gifts. On Wednesday nights, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is about spiritual gifts. And the long and the short of that chapter is God has called every believer into service, every believer, and equipped every believer to do something meaningful for the cause of Christ. Without exception, all of us. And we are one in our purpose in that. Now, you can be a really good, faithful servant of the Lord, whether you're a pastor or a layman or whatever you are in a church. You can be a really good, faithful servant of the Lord in a church that's not what it's supposed to be. And uh, you, have you ever had projects? I, I had a seminary professor that liked to put us in groups of five and make us do group projects. I never liked that because there were always a couple of them that were kind of like, uh, would wait for you to kind of do it, and then they'd put their name on it, and they'd figure out some way where they contributed to it. But, you know, it would be something less than five really producing the project. And you say, well, you know, it's, uh, that's not really right. That's not really fair. And now I do that in Africa. So, um, But Paul says, but you need to understand, Corinthians, each will receive his own reward according to his own labor means the right guard doesn't have to nitpick and worry about the right tackle. The, the right guard needs to play right guard if you're into football and that kind of thing. You got to do your part faithfully as under the Lord until he calls you out. And if you're faithful in what he calls you to do and to be, you'll receive whatever is it's literally wages or we render it your own reward based on your own fruit or your own actions or what you've done with your life. 
your days are slipping by. Man, they are slipping by much faster than you perceive. We've had several funerals. And uh, in Millen, they used to have this expression every time uh, one of the patriarchs of the church would die. They'd tell, Another great tree has fallen in the forest, which was a way of saying it's going to take a long time for some little guy to come along and grow up and mature to become one of those uh, to replace him. And we've had some trees fall in our forest, some, some great trees fall in our forest in recent days, and uh, Preston will be uh, buried tomorrow. And it can be discouraging, but Paul says, all that said, focus on your own life before your years are gone. What is it you're to be in Christ? What needs to be sanded? What needs to be chiseled and chipped or knocked down? What needs to be removed from your life experience that you can be your, uh, the Christian that you've been called to be? He says, for we are God's fellow workers. Whether it's Apollos or Paul or all the Corinthians or all the Georgians in Christ, we are God's fellow workers. We're all on the same team. Great teams have that concept. They're working together for a common cause. We are all God's fellow workers. Let's don't faction out. That's a reflection of spiritual immaturity. In Corinthians, you can do better than that. It says you are God's field. And he's not, he doesn't say you are God's harvest, like God has come into your community and harvested you and made a church out of you. And isn't it great that the job is done? No, it's, the, it's a cultivated field. It's a, an active farm. The Ill, imagery or the illustration that Paul's using is saying that God's at work in your setting. God doesn't get up in the morning, but if he did, every, every day he faces your world with the intent of shaping your field, who you are. He says you are God's building. Uh, traveling through England and Scotland, we went through several cathedrals, incredible buildings. They don't make them like that anymore. Nobody builds like that anymore. Uh, but we went down to, uh, to Canterbury, and I showed you some pictures of the Canterbury Cathedral a couple of weeks back. Incredible building. Our uh, guided tour experience was not as good as I've had there before. First time I went there, uh, Wendy and I had one guy just to ourselves, and he knew everything, every nook and cranny about that building and wanted us to know all about it. He was just a volunteer guide and awesome. Had a, a neat little blazer with Canterbury on it and sash and all this stuff. And I mean, he told us the, the columns and the nave, the main preaching area of that building, uh, were built out of stone. No brick, no cast concrete or steel or anything, built out of stone. And when the building went bigger and they raised the roof and pushed it out and made it even more glorious, they didn't take those columns out. They just built around those columns. It's amazing when you get a handle on what they did. They just wrapped the previous column with the greater columns and, and kept on pushing up. The idea of a, a cathedral is it's never done. You never declare it finished. It's always a work in progress. That's why you can build buildings like that. You don't build for yourself or for your own generation. You're building something beyond yourself. And Paul says, you're God's building project. It's not just that he saved you and you got baptized and it was done. Put that one on the shelf. It's a done deal. He says, you're God's building program. And he's trying to build into your life change and regeneration and transformation so that you increase and you grow into God's glory. You are never done till you breathe your last breath. 
You are a work in progress as long as you have breath, as long as you're here. There is nobody here in attendance this morning that is at the level of spiritual maturity that you could be or ought to be or have been called to be. You're a work in progress. How much Bible did you know when you came to Christ? And how much Bible do you know now? After 50-something years of being in the church, when I went to seminary, my dad got interested in the Bible, got excited about it. I mean, he'd been on the board and all this stuff. He'd done all the things you could do as a layman in his church. And because I was studying the Bible and he always wanted to be supportive, he got excited about the Bible. And he called it. He took on a Sunday school class to teach, and he called every Saturday night to talk about the lesson he was going to teach the next morning in Atlanta. And I was over in South Carolina, and we'd talk it through. And he said, I can't believe I spent all these years in church, and I don't know this stuff. How did that happen? And I'd say, it happens all the time. How much Bible did you know when you first came to Christ, and what do you know now, and what do you want to know from God's Word? What was your prayer life like when you came to Christ and what is it like now and what's the potential of it? What was your stewardship like when you first believed? I remember writing my first significant check to a church. I think I put dimes and dollars in in the church I grew up at, you know, like kids do. Uh, and I remember joining First Baptist Atlanta and writing my first significant church check uh, for the offering. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's a significant amount of money. And I could have done a lot of things with that. And I realized I was a pygmy in the world of stewardship. And God had a lot to teach me. How do you manage your money now differently because you've been a Christian for a long time? Are you a steward? How do you manage your time uh, now compared to when you first came to Christ? Is your time committed to Christ? Uh, do you use your time on yourself or for the greater cause of the kingdom? What was your first involvement in ministry? Do you have a ministry? Is your ministry uh, something that you're growing in and developing? Where were you umpteen years ago when you came to Christ? Maybe it was last year. What was your grasp of the Great Commission that the gospel was to go to the nations? Did you understand it then? Do you understand it today? What was your commitment to it then? What is it today? I tell you, if your church ever, uh, God forbid we have ever have a, a big division over anything here, I tell people outside First Baptist, we don't argue well, and that's a compliment. That means we can't sustain a bad argument for very long around here, and that's a, that's a, a good thing to say about you. But if you ever have a problem where your church is divided, do something in a third world country for people who have no potential to give you anything back. And it'll take care of the problem. And it will reflect spiritual maturity. If you're growing in Christ, those issues will evaporate. What is the Great Commission? What is world missions to you today as a growing Christian? Man, I want to do more. I don't want to call it done. I want to do more while I have breath. When you first came to Christ, to what degree did you personally honor him? Is he more glorified by your life now because you've matured in Christ? How's it going with the maturing process for you? Would you be willing to go from the past to the future, from the comfortable to the challenging, 
from easy life to sacrificial life, from the familiar to the unknown, from popularity to standing alone, from fun to that which is spiritually rewarding, from that which is personally profitable to that which has eternal blessings attached to it, from some perceived sense of security in this life based on whatever to living in the light of eternal security in Christ, from some selfish agenda to the to honest, hard pursuit of the will of God. What do you want more than what God wants for you? And Paul is pleading with the Corinthians. Oh, don't, don't hang around the Corinthian church for decades and not grow. Don't hang around the Corinthian church and never have a heart for the nations and your own personal growth and a life of prayer and pursuit of the word. Don't waste your life. Be about the business of growing. And God promises to enable you to grow. Maybe not like this person or that person, but his own plan for your life. If you can get beyond the things that defeat sinful actions and sinful attitudes and lives too busy and cluttered minds, and beyond all of that stuff is the opportunity to grow in Christ. And it's right out there before you this morning like a precious gift of opportunity from the Lord Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me and join me in prayer? Father, we're grateful today that you've called us out of mediocrity and ordinary uh, to lives that serve and honor and glorify you. We're reminded in recent days, especially with the passing of some of our dear friends that have served and honored you, we're uh, reminded that our days will slip by. Lord, help us to see them as precious as golden years given uh, not for our comfort and enjoyment, but for your glory. So build into us uh, spiritual productivity and a heart to grow and, and be deeper in the things of you. Prune us, purge us, sand us, chisel us. Lord, shape us. We want to be more like Christ so that Christ might shine through our lives as individual believers and as a church family. So we submit again this morning to you, thanking you for the process as you raise us up in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.